This is the Girlfriend's Guide to True Crime, the podcast where the girlfriend, Megan, guides the boyfriend, Nick, through the world of true crime. Hey everybody, this is Meg. And this is Nick. And this is another episode of The Girlfriend's Guide to True Crime. So let's get into it. What are we discussing today? The case that we're going to discuss today, I'm going to refer to it as the Bucks County Boyers. Yeah, this is kind of a special one because it's it's kind of tied to where we live. It's a local one. We live in Bucks County here. Yes, Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is located southeast during Pennsylvania, north of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And it also borders the Delaware River and the state of New Jersey. Yes. And we're both lifelong residents. And we were around when this case you know, first broke. So we got to see what was going on in the community around us and the news that was breaking and how it developed. And it didn't make national headlines. Yeah, it was it kind of dominated the headlines for about two weeks in the summer of uh, 2017 here. That's right. So, the Bucks County Boys refers to the disappearance and murder of four young men in the Philadelphia suburb of Bucks County. And we just thought we would be able to add some interesting facts and insights being locals to the case. Yeah. And this is our first podcast. Yes. um, Our first episode of The Girlfriend's Guide to True Crime. So, we thought we'd keep it close to home. Yes. All right. So, I'm just going to start. What I'd like to try to start with these podcasts is to feature a locally sourced beverage. So today I've chosen one from a winery called Crossing Vineyards. Now this is directly from the bottle of the chocolate cherry truffle that I am enjoying this evening. And Crossing Vineyards and Winery is located on a 200-year-old Bucks County estate, less than a mile from the place where George Washington crossed the Delaware in 1776. I guess that's where we get crossings from, huh? That's right. Washington's Crossing is a town (laughs) in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. So on this historic site, advanced technology combines with centuries of tradition to produce quality wines from the finest fruit. Crossing Vineyards describes this wine as a full-flavored fortified wine with a complex aroma of dark chocolate mingled with notes of black cherry, ripe plum, and toasted oak. On the palate, the taste is rich and sweet with a satisfying warm finish. The wine is dessert in a bottle, the perfect complement to a great meal. And I will say that I am quite enjoying it. It's very tasty, huh? Yes. If you're in the area, I definitely suggest you check out Crossing Vineyards. It's a beautiful winery. They have delicious wine. So check it out. Okay, let's on to the case. It's yeah, quite let's dive into the, the details of this. Yes, it's a bit grim. Um, it's very sad. Um, what I would like to do with this podcast is to emphasize the victims of the crimes that we cover. So I'm going to start with some information about the four young men that I'm going to be referring to as the Bucks County Boys. First is Jimmy Taro Patrick. He was born July 31st, 1998, to Karen Patrick. Unfortunately, his mother Karen suffered from schizophrenia and was unable to care for him. So he was raised by his grandparents pretty much from birth. Their names are Rich and Sharon Patrick. His grandparents described him as having a, as being very responsible, having terrific writing skills and many friendships throughout school. He was a graduate of Holy Ghost Preparatory School in Ben Salem, 
Jimmy chose among several scholarships he received to attend his dream school, Loyola University in Baltimore, Maryland. Seems like a kid who had like his future pretty well planned out from a very, you know, well-liked kid and very smart and seems like. Yes, yes, he was. Um, he had a lot going for him. And he was actually studying business under full scholarship oh. there in Loyola. So um, he is our first victim, unfortunately. Next, we're going to talk about Dean Finicaro. Dean, born December 18th, 1997, to Bonnie and Anthony Finicaro. He's a lifelong resident of Middletown Township in Bucks County and a graduate of Neshaminy High School in 2016. Dean was active amongst different, high different sorry, ice hockey teams in the area. He, lived, he loved the outdoors, conducted bicycle and skateboarding stunts, his greatest passion in life is said to be running his dirt bike. He was employed at Richmond's Ice Cream Company in Levittown when it first opened in March of 2017. Mark Sturgis, son of Amy King and Mark Potash, was born on November 20th, 1994. Mark is described as emotionally mature, with the ability to calm people no matter what was going on, and able to make new friends wherever he went. Definitely seems like he's very empathetic. You know? Yes, he was definitely described to be that. Mm -hmm. Um... He graduated from Ben Salem High School, spent a year in Florida living with his maternal grandparents, and then returned to Pennsylvania where he became passionate about building projects. Mark was known to be attached at the hip to his best friend, Tom Mayo. Both he and Tom liked to ask people unanswerable questions and have deep discussions about life. Tom was born to his mother, Melissa Frentenduano Mayo, and I apologize if I butchered that name, on July 30th, 1996, Melissa said her son would go out of his way to carve out time for his family and to spend time goofing off and looking after his younger sisters. He graduated from Ben Salem High School and attended East Stroudsburg University. That's my alma mater. That's right. And he attended East Stroudsburg for a year. He decided to leave the university to spend time figuring out what he wanted to do with the rest of his life. He grew to enjoy working construction at his friend Mark Sturgis's father's construction company. And at the time of his death, he was working construction at the and at the Liberty Gas Station in Doylestown, PA. And Mark and Tom were known to be very good friends. Um, they kind of balanced each other out. Yeah. And one, you know, Mark was the more quiet type, where Tom was a more the extrovert. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So let's start getting into the events of what happened here. The timeline of everything that's going on in the summer of uh, 2017. Yeah, I'm going to try to follow it as close as I can to the timeline of the events. Might slip around a little bit, but we will hopefully cover everything. Get through it as best you can. Yep. So, on Wednesday, July 5th, 2017, Jimmy Patrick, he told his grandmother he was going to meet his friends at Chick-fil-A. Mm -hmm. However, the next day, Thursday, July 6th, Jimmy's grandparents wake up and they find that Jimmy's not there, which is unusual. Usually, He was known to be very responsible. He would always tell his grandparents when he arrived home at night. He'd even wake them up in the middle of the night to let them know that he got home safe. But he did not come home. They, you know, obviously were never woken up in the middle of the night. No text messages or anything like that? No. And then when they realize that he's not home on Thursday, his grandmother is texting him. She said that... He usually would respond to her text messages or phone calls within 15 minutes, but they're going unanswered. And that's kind of suspicious off the bat. Right. So Jimmy's grandparents, Sharon and Rich, they find out through Jimmy's friends that he actually never went to the Chick-fil-A the night before. Mm -hmm. So 
more cause for concern. Rich and Sharon call the police, but the police said it hasn't been 24 hours yet. The police are not yet concerned and assume he'll return home soon. You know, he's a young man. He's only 19 years old. It's a holiday. You know, the 4th of July was the day before. So they're not quite concerned yet, even though Jimmy's vehicle is at his grandparents' house. We're not too far, being from this area, we're not too far from the Jersey Shore. Yes. So anything's possible. It is a holiday weekend. It's really... And we're a suburb of Philadelphia, so yeah. who knows what you can get into with your friends. And especially in Bucks County, too, we have the woods out here where we can, you know, go out and have bonfires and stuff like that. So it's not really something that's out of the ordinary, but something is kind of sorted out right yes so jimmy's cell phone is pinning pinning to springfield in delaware county pennsylvania his grandfather goes to check it out but is unable to find him so they proceed to put up posters and start the search for jimmy on saturday july 8th 2017 jimmy's grandparents decide to hire a private investigator because unfortunately the police still have not paid much attention to the case and they have not found or heard from jimmy still not getting any answers on what's nope. going on the private investigator questions all of jimmy's friends and he contacts the bucks county detectives that is when he finds out that there's another missing boy named dean finicaro hmm. on friday july 7th dean said goodbye to his mother bonnie as she left for girls weekend down to the jersey shore yeah something i've done many times Dean's father, Anthony, then took Dean out for a sushi dinner. They had a great dinner. Then Dean left home telling his father he'd be back in about 15 minutes. He was just going to meet a neighborhood kid. Mm -hmm. However, two hours later, Dean did not return home. And his father is unable to get a hold of him through text or call. And his phone is going straight to voicemail. So his father is very concerned. Seems like another kid who wouldn't, you know, pass up an opportunity to tell people he's all right with text messages and stuff like that yeah he seemed to have a very good relationship with his his parents mm -hmm. um he did he was known to get into a little bit of trouble which we'll talk about but nothing that would warrant this kind of reaction yeah so he you know his phone his cell phone's going straight to voicemail and the next day saturday july 8th dean's mother's notified by anthony dean's father um she actually does return home on saturday and gets home around around five o'clock mm -hmm. and that is when they decide you know they're contacting the hospitals and they decide let's you know file a nursing person's report because it's been 24 hours yeah so officer megan freer goes to the finicara home to take the missing person report from dean she's familiar with dean because dean is a bit of a daredevil as described by his father and has gotten into trouble with some joyriding incidents yes with his motocross stuff you know yes they did show um we saw some videos and some of the preparation we did for today's case that were actual footage of him you know being a bit of a daredevil with his friends freewheeling down the road and stuff like that you right know? yes so, so yeah, i guess the police are they know who dean is yes um Officer first states that it was obvious that something was not right. She interviewed Dean's parents and friends for two hours. Dean's friends said that they could not reach one of Dean's one of his friends, and that this was a friend that he was known to know through ATVs by riding his ATVs. And mm -hmm. this person's name was Cosmo DiNardo. This was not a friend that Dean's parents were familiar with. Officer Megan Fear learns that the DiNardo family has two properties in Bucks County: one in the Philadelphia suburb town of Ben Salem. And the other is a 90-acre farm in Solberry Township, about 45 miles outside of Philly. She also discovers through Dean's phone carry that his phone was last used in Solberry. So now 
Dean's phone is being used in Solberry, and people are talking about it. he has some friend that he knows through ATVs that they haven't been able to get a hold of who has a family property in Solberry. So you kind of sort of connect on the dots there, yeah, which you, is good part of good detective you're work. You're thinking, okay, maybe it's something to look into. Now, Officer Fur works overnight shift. She enlists the officer, the help of Officer Gary Forrester to go to the Denardo property in Solbury in the early hours of Sunday, July 9th. They're expecting to find a bunch of boys hanging out. Yeah, the property. It's, it's a holiday weekend, you know? Exactly. Like, like I they're said, having fun. They're, you know, whatever. They're lost track of time, whatever. That's what they're expecting to find. Especially in, in Bucks County here. I have lived, We've lived here and we've gone to like plenty of parties. Sure. Especially out around that area, like the New Hope area yes. type stuff where that's not uncommon. Yeah. So, however, what they find is a dilapidated house on the Donardo property and no vehicles in sight. So, that's automatically setting off alarm bells, like, right there. Yes. The Solberry property is located in a dark and rural area. And they also notice a small shed in the back corner of the property, but they have to leave to go into patrol around 2.40 a.m. However, Officer Forrester has this strong feeling. His intuition is kicking in. And he really wants to go check out that shed. Yeah, because, you know, something's not stirring the Kool-Aid here. Right. They said the, the property was a bit creepy. I mean, it was the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they decide, he decided, you know what, 3 a.m., he told Officer Frere he was going to go check out the shed. Yeah. Fine. So he, he goes, he opens it, he discovers a vehicle in the shed. This is unusual. It appeared the car was being hidden in the shed. It wasn't dirty, had no cobwebs. It was not something that was being stored there for a long time. And he also noticed... That it had to have been freshly moved because there were still tire impressions in in the grass from the beginning of the property into the shed. So it looks like they just missed whoever was there. Right. So Officer Forrester decides to run the, plate, the plates in the vehicle, and he finds that they're registered to a Thomas Mayo from Plumstead Township. Another officer calls into Forrester and notifies him that Tom's mother, Melissa Fentandwano Mayo was at the Plumstead Police Station on Saturday reporting Tom missing. So now we got three people missing here. Yes, we do have three people missing, but actually, that's not correct. We have four people that are missing. We have four people. Yes, yeah, so remember we talked about how close Tom and his was friends with this Mark, yes. his friend Mark Sturgis. Yes. Well, at the time that Tom went missing, so did Mark Sturgis. Okay. They were together. Officer Freer attempts to find this Cosmo Donardo, the kid where whose family owns this farm where Tom's car was located, this mm-hmm. missing kid. Um, his name, again, was already also connected to Dean Finicaro. Uh, things are starting to look a little suspicious. So, and it's, it's taking place amongst different townships within the county. So mm-hmm. they decide to hold, the county detectives decide to hold a meeting to lay out all the, de- the details of what they found and what's going on here. So... Friday, July 7th, was the last day that Tom Mayo and Mark Sturgis were seen, which was also the day that Dean Finicaro went missing. Mark's mother, Amy King, last spoke with Mark when he was at work on Friday, but was unable to get a hold of him on Saturday. This was not unusual, as Mark did not spend a lot of time on his phone. It was known to not charge it. So, yeah, I guess that kind of goes, he's probably the odd man out where people, you know, he doesn't really let people know where he is because he's kind of easy going but people know that he does this type stuff exactly so it's not ringing any alarm bells she can't get a hold it's of not him. out of character for him yeah but what is out of character for him is to not show up for work yeah so both tom and mark 
they're working together at Mark's father's construction company. They fail to show up for work on Saturday, which is unusual for them both, and it causes concern. They're very hard workers. Yes. Tom's mother, Melissa, is especially concerned because Tom is diabetic and requires insulin. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, he's known to always have a diabetic kit on him. Cops are unable to conduct a more thorough search of Tom. Sorry, they're able to conduct a more thorough search of Tom Mayo's car that was found in the shed on the Donardo property. They find the title and keys to the vehicle hanging inside the shed, which is weird. That's suspicious, yeah. And Tom's diabetic kit is inside the car. Oh boy! So we have a timeline as to how long Tom will be okay without his medication. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of a ticking clock situation to hopefully find him alive. Right, and this definitely increases the foul play meter on yeah. the missing persons yes. case. So, Mark's mother, Amy, sees on Facebook that Dean isn't also missing and calls Dean's father, Anthony, to discuss what's going on. Dean, Tom, and Mark all appear to know each other. Um, The odd man out from this is Jimmy, but he'll be connected. Anthony is also contacted by the private investigator hired by Jimmy Patrick's grandparents. Jimmy's grandparents don't think that his disappearance is linked to the other three boys as they don't recognize any of their names and also didn't you say that the the cell phone was pinged in the wrong area like it was pinged in in delaware canyon which is a good like 50 miles away yes it was so they're thinking oh this is probably just a coincidence that's not linked yeah um however they do recognize a name connected to this case and that is the name of cosmo donardo cosmo donardo also graduated Graduated from Holy Ghost Prep, which is where Jimmy went to high school. Oh, okay. So the Finnecaros call Megan, Officer Megan Freer, to tell her that they found a neighbor who has security footage showing a silver pickup truck matching Cosmo's vehicle on the street at the same time and location of when Dean disappeared. Hmm. On Sunday afternoon, July 9th, they attempt to find Cosmo. He is not home. His mother answers the door, says that he's not expected to be home for quite a while. So they tell him, you know, we need to talk to him regarding some missing people. Um, they do eventually arrange a meeting with the police officers. And they question Cosmo to acquire his timeline from the past few days and his connection to the missing boys. Mm-hmm. He claims to not know where they are or what happened. He does admit that he was with Dean the night he went missing. They were headed to a nearby town of Langhorn um, to meet at someone's house, but they got into an argument in the vehicle, and Cosmo stated that he left Dean on the side of the road, and he decided to go to a park to go fishing, and that he was there until 9 p.m. on Friday night. Mm. During the questioning, Cosmo was clearly trying to distance himself from these boys. Yeah. So, Cosmo DiNardo, he is from a prominent family that owns trucking and cement companies in the Bucks County area. The police are familiar with Cosmo because of his mental health issues. He is known to have combative personality. He was banned from his alma mater, Holy Ghost Prep, for disturbing behavior in which the police were called to an open house at the school in October of 2016. This is after he's graduated from the school, mind mm-hmm. you. There was also an incident at Arcadia University at bleh, Arcadia University in nearby Montgomery County where he went, went and attended for one semester in 2015, but, but the school said he was not welcome to return. Donardo was diagnosed as schizophrenic and involuntarily committed to a mental institution, and he was banned from having firearms. However, he was found to be in illegal possession of a gun not long before the disappearances. 
but due to documentation issues regarding the, the mental illness, no charges were filed at that time. Hmm. So there's a lot to talk about with Cosmo, and we'll get that get to that in, in our discussion at the end of this. So automatic license plate readers, and that's becoming you know more prominent you know amongst law enforcement. Yeah. It showed that Cosmo's truck was in the same location as Tom and Mayo's car on Friday night. And Tom and Mark Sturgis, the Friday night that Tom and Mark both went missing. His truck was also picked up near the location of the Donardo family farm in Solberry, which is in conflict with his fishing alibi. Yeah. They soon learned that Cosmo was trying to sell Tom Mayo's car after Tom went missing. Authorities decide it is not safe to have Cosmo on the streets, so they arrest him under the refiled weapons case and then they get extensive extensive search warrants to to search both of the denardo properties the one in solberry and the one in ben salem okay so at the 90 acre solberry farm they enter an old barn and they find blood consistent with a very serious injury oh boy a cell phone is found in a field and officers dial 911 to identify the owner of the phone Dean's father, Anthony, receives a text notification from Verizon stating that Dean's phone dialed 911 and notifies the authorities that they still have not found the boys. Mm. Monday, July 10th, Jimmy Patrick's grandparents arrive at the farm. They still think that he wasn't, he was in Delaware County. We talked about his yeah. phone pinning in Delaware County. That's 50 miles away from Solberry. Mm-hmm. So the county detectives unfortunately inform them that the last ping on Jimmy's phone was actually in Solberry, not Delaware County. And wow. then it was incorrect information which does happen from time to time with phone phone pings um with the cell phone towers yeah um <clears throat> district attorney matthew weintraub announces via press conference that cosmo's parents posted his bail which is 10 percent of a million dollar bond the community and parents of the missing children are incredibly concerned about him being out in the public yeah um Authorities then decide to file charges of theft from Cosmo trying to sell Tom Mayo's car. They really want to get him off the streets. Yeah. The bail is set at $5 million, so that is a little bit more of insurance that his parents hopefully cannot bail him out. On Wednesday, July 12th, the team narrows on a pile of rocks and disturbed earth is on the farm. Now, they actually also had some cadaver dogs that were helping to you know, steer them where they needed to go. It was a 90-acre farm. Farms are not uncommon in Bucks County, mm-hmm. um, but 90 acres, it's a lot of territory to cover. It's a lot of, yeah. Yeah, so they were splitting it up um, and using whatever tools they could to, to locate, you know, what, you know, to locate the boys. Yeah. So they come across this large pile of rocks and dirt, and they decide to start digging. At around six feet, there's this overwhelming smell of gasoline. Mm. So that's unusual. Obviously, you're not going to smell lots of gasoline six feet into the earth. No. So that's further proof that they're on the right path here. The dig continues, and overnight, 12 feet into the earth, they hit metal. What they uncover is an old oil tank that was being cur- converted into a pig roaster. They put cameras into the pig roaster and find a cigarette pack and a boot. Oh, boy. Yes. The camera then identifies blue tar- tarp. And human remains. Based on clothing, tattoos, they identify Tom Mayo, Mark Sturgis, and Dean Finicaro. Mm. They then notify the families of Tom, Mark, and Dean. However, Jimmy Patrick is still missing. Yeah. With overwhelming evidence piling up on Cosmo, his attorney decides, let's strike a deal. 
that he will reveal the location of Jimmy Patrick's remains if the penalty is taken off the table. Um, a lot of people, this kind of caused a little bit of uproar in the community. Yeah. Um, they didn't, they wanted him to be, he went, they wanted the full possible justice they could get. However, you know, Jimmy's missing and his grandparents, need you know, closure they, on exactly. That. They exactly. deserve to put him to rest. Uh-huh. So, um, what some people didn't realize was that the district attorney set the families down to discuss what, what they should do here. Should they offer this plea deal? And, you know, and for Jimmy's grandparents, they decided, yes, you know, we will offer this, this plea deal that he will spend the rest of his life in prison, mm-hmm. you know, no death penalty, as long as he, he provides the location, you know, of Jimmy's remains. Yeah. So Cosmo states he began his killing spree with Jimmy. He was sent, selling or middlemanning drug deals. He claimed he'd be selling Jimmy a large quantity of marijuana for $8,000. Jimmy shows up with only $800, and Cosmo is upset. He offers to sell Jimmy a gun instead. He and Jimmy go, he said Jimmy goes to inspect the gun, and Cosmo just shoots him. He gets a backhoe, digs a hole, says a prayer, and puts him in the hole. He then describes what happens with the other three boys. He sees that he got his cousin Sean Kratz, to agree to help kill Dean when he tries to buy marijuana from Cosmo. Cosmo says Dean was buying a quarter pound of marijuana from Donardo, but only has two ounces. Sean was supposed to actually help Cosmo rob Dean out in the woods of the property on his quad. But Sean chickened out, so they end up in the barn. Dean is looking at a Vespa that Cosmo has in the barn. Then Cosmo gestures to Sean to shoot Dean. Sean closes his eyes and shoots. Cosmo then shoots Dean in the head to make sure he is dead. Hmm. Cosmo then leaves Sean at the farm to meet up with Tom Mayo and Mark Sturgis. They follow Donardo back to the farm. Cosmo shoots Tom when they have their backs turned. Tom is paralyzed and starts screaming. Mark tries to run from Cosmo, but Cosmo empties the gun, killing Mark. Tom is still alive, unable to move, and screaming. But Cosmo's out of bullets, so he takes the backhoe and he runs over town. Jesus. They place the, bodies, the, they place the bodies in the pig roaster and they lit it on fire. They then left and stopped for cheesesteaks. The pig roaster is buried later once authorities start to close in on them during the investigation. He tells them where Jimmy's located and Jimmy's remains are recovered. Sean Kratz is located, and he admits to witnessing their murders, but denies shooting anyone. He sticks to his story and reveals the location of the guns. Nine months later, he admits to the story of Cosmo wanting him to shoot Dean in the woods, and when he didn't, Cosmo grew frustrated. Sean states that he shot Dean at Cosmo's urging because he was afraid of Cosmo, and so Cosmo had previously threatened his family. Now, they are cousins, but they're not close. They didn't start hanging out until recently. Yeah. On July 14th, 2017, both Cosmo and Sean are charged. Cosmo pleads guilty and is sentenced to four consecutive life sentences. Sean Kratz elects to take the case to trial. He's found guilty in November of 2019 to the first-degree murder of Dean Finicaro and voluntary manslaughter of Tom and Mark. He is sentenced to life without parole. So that is what happened to Jimmy Patrick, Don Finicaro, Tom Mayo, and Mark Sturgis. Our Bucks County boys. It's a shame of a story there. It's quite hard, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of cold, very cold-blooded. Too. It's very cold-blooded. Yeah. Well, let's absorb this and take a quick break. Okay. All right. Welcome back. 
Now let's uh, delve a little deeper into this case. The open discussion time, yeah. yeah. So first I'd like to share just, you know, the experience from me when this was first breaking, mm -hmm. being someone who was so close by. Um, what I first noticed was obviously on social media, Facebook, these random, you know, things popping up of people being missing, these you know, young men, and I didn't really think much of it at the time. You know, you do see this. You yeah. see people who are you know, reported missing coming up, and you're asked to share. I might have shared them. I don't recall. Um, someone's missing and that kind of thing. And I, I didn't think much of it, you know, when we saw Jimmy's. I, you know, they're young men, and they could, again, could have just been hanging out with friends, mm -hmm. done, you know, whatever. So... I noticed that it was a few more. I'm like, oh, that's a little weird that some some other young men are, you know, nearby or and, you know, I got up to four people and I'm, and I'm like, this is this isn't something's not right here. Something's yeah. not good. And but it was it moved very fast. It moved very quickly. And before we knew it, you know, they were all linked together. Mm -hmm. You start hearing names of Cosmo Donardo, and you know that you know. I think an important thing to note here is that. No, not only did the police officers work very fast and very efficiently, they did good police work. You don't always see that, and we'll be covering cases where that is not always the case. Um, yeah. However, I'm very proud to say that the officers and detectives in our county did a good job. Yeah. And also, in our our DA, my Matt Weintraub, uh, I will talk a little more about him, but he was very informative the entire time. He held very, you know, many press conferences. I felt like he was continuously coming up with press conferences discussing, you know, where they are with things and explaining why it was taking so long for digging. I mean, I knew at that point, like, okay, well, they're digging. They're, they're going to find these boys here. Like, they're, that's, I don't know what happened. I don't know why, but they're here and yeah. they know it. The police, something led them here. Uh, I was very curious, though, as to, like, how they got to, to, you know, got to Cosmo Donardo, how they got to where they were. Mm -hmm. um, and so you and I, um, as in preparation for this, for me, you know, in my introduction to this this crime to you, I mean, you obviously already knew about it from being in the area, but in order to delve some more information into what happened here, we, wa we watched um, IDD Network's show. They had a two-hour special called The Lost Boys of Bucks County. Yeah. I also had you listen to a podcast that I love. A lot of the true crime podcast listeners out there will already be very familiar with the Generation Y podcast. Mm -hmm. um, there's some great guys. I've met them. They're very nice. And they covered this uh, case um, under the title Cosmo Donardo. And I believe it was their episode 386. And they did an excellent job as well. Yeah. So... Why don't you share with us, you know, what was your experience with this before we listened to the podcast, before we watched that TV show, you know, especially during the time it happened? Well, I don't re really remember much about that time. Uh, during this time, I was working nights, so I'd be up around, I'd be in bed about 6 o'clock at night, and I'd be up around 12 o'clock. So I, that's that summer, it didn't really hit me until maybe a couple days in when you start seeing more and more reports about this stuff, especially on uh, 6 ABC, the Action News uh, station, which is our local station here, and then kind of sort of more, and then it starts getting national attention, this, that, and the other thing. So I only had like a cursory uh, knowledge of this, but it was, it was kind of sort of interesting that it was local. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think just like us being so close to it and, you know, if you're at all involved in social media and looking at, I mean, I like to look at the, the new, I get all of my news basically from social media Yeah, and I will click on the comments that people make. And there were so many conspiracy theories even going on between Cosmo and his involvement with possible other criminals that were, you know, involved in crimes in Philadelphia. Yeah. And I won't even go into into some of the rumors I remember saying that because they were unfounded. Yeah. But it's crazy how people just, you know, what happened with this case and what pe- your people's imaginations go. Yeah, the dissemination of information, you know, kind of gets muddled out there, you know, especially with social media and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'd like to, you know, again, discuss what a great job the officers and detectives yeah. did. Um, I was really proud to see that, they, that things moved so quickly. I mean, yeah. mind you... You know, the criminal sophistication that was exhibited in this case was very poor. So, you know, you can't have four people that you're connected with go missing in a couple days without being suspected. I mean, come on. So, but they took things quite seriously. They followed through on through um, on possible tips. You know, they used their instincts. Yeah. Checking that shed. I mean, Cosmo could have gotten rid of that vehicle before they, if they hadn't checked it. And then that would have been a huge lead that just vanished. Yeah. So they, they did a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, again, it's not something you always see, but they're really on top of it. And it makes me feel a little good to being in the area to know that they, they did, they did their they're job. They're competent you know, yeah. doing that stuff. So um, I, I next time I would like to, note about matt weintraub who is the da and i already mentioned how he was very informative mm-hmm. about having the constant press conferences and following through and he's known to really try to get as much justice as, as allows and i which a friend of mine said and i'd like to issue a little quote of a friend of mine who actually worked with mike matt weintraub as a victim mm-hmm. um and she had some really great things to say about him so Um, So a friend of mine worked with Matt Weintraub as a victim when he was assistant district attorney, and this is what she had to say. When I worked with him, he was the assistant DA. He was so kind and gentle with me. I was only 14. The way he approached certain things, he took away any awkwardness out of, sorry, out of so many things that would have been awkward to a 14-year-old speaking to a man about. He was extremely devoted to try to get as much justice as the law would allow law would allow him matt is hands down one of the kindest warmest and devoted people in law enforcement that i have come across i ran into him as an adult a few times and he always remembers me and says hi and asks me how my life is i'm blown away that this is that that as with as many people has he's defended he seems to remember each one i feel extremely grateful he is rda so um i had been familiar with with what she had went through and what a great job he did. And I just thought that he deserved a little extra kudos. Yeah, seems like a, a good guy to have as the the district attorney. Yes. So let's get into some of the details of this crime. And uh-huh. we really need to talk about Cosmo because there's so much to unpack here with him and his behavior and his mental illness yeah. and his family. So um, let's first start about, okay, what he claimed to happen with Jimmy. So he said he was going to sell Jimmy... I think it was like four pounds of marijuana. Yeah. And that it was supposed to be $8,000. Yeah. Now, Jimmy shows up with 800 Now, as a 19-year-old having $800, like, 
I think that was actually pretty good, to be honest. I didn't have $800 just randomly to spend on drugs when I was 19. I'm 37. I'm 36, and I don't have $800. <laughs> That's so, not necessarily true, but maybe it is. Not just to waste on, on you know. Yeah. Right. So, I, we got bills to pay people. Yes. So it was the whole thing didn't make any sense. Yeah. First of all, it was reported that he set the money on fire later. Cosmo was known to come from a very affluent family who had money. He didn't yeah. need money. He claimed that he was upset with Jimmy because then he was going to be at risk being this middleman that, that he didn't get the money. Mind you, you know, he if it came down to his life, I think if his parents could put up 10000 know, I'm sorry, $100,000 for his bail, yeah. he probably could have gotten $8,000 from his parents, yeah. you know, for this failed drug deal. Okay? Okay. Uh, on top of which, then he said that he was going to sell Jimmy a gun. Why would Jimmy buy a gun if he was there to buy marijuana? I mean, I don't know. I've never been involved with those kind of things, but I would think if you were going someplace to buy marijuana, you want to buy marijuana. Yeah. You don't want to buy a gun. Jimmy seems like a good kid, you know, from what it sounded like. He had a good head on his shoulders, and I don't know the 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 protocols at Loyola University. I don't think you can have guns there. So Probably not. That's... Everything seemed kind of fishy. Yeah. So, again, if money was such a big deal, why would you set it on fire? Yeah. So, I mean, that's right here. It just tell, tells me this is not a drug case gone wrong. He he all, he used it as a way to lure him there. I think at the end of the day, what we really need to know and understand is that, that we'll, well, what we'll never understand is why. But Cosmo wanted to kill. Yeah. And he decided, you know, I'm going to do it. He might have just was playing around with Jimmy or whatever, he got a taste for it and decided, hey, I'm going to, you know. Keep doing it. Yeah. So he, um, so something we really need to talk about is causing mental, mental illness. I mentioned that he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. I also seen reports that he was diagnosed with uh, schizoaffective disorder and bipolar disorder. Um, it turns out that, you know, he was, he was, institutionalized which made it so that he wasn't allowed to have have guns the guns were owned by his parents mm -hmm. so uh there have been lawsuits placed by the victim's family members against cosmo's parents for their their allowing their son to ha have access to, to guns when he wasn't supposed to yeah um that they tried the parents tried to have this dismissed but uh in may of last year the court held up the the lawsuit but i don't know where it's gone from there i mean i think that things going on the courts are even slower than normal because of the pandemic we're experiencing but mm -hmm. um maybe we'll have an update if we ever find out what happens with that sometimes those things aren't disclosed so with the stuff that was diagnosed with the with the stuff and the, the I, I asked you earlier that we didn't get back to you said he was he was a, a football player for like a the local I don't the, know if he was a football player if he was just involved with that organization now a good friend of mine her entire family are lifelong residents of Ben Salem mm -hmm. and they some of them knew Cosmo and, and and you know his siblings and family members and they're also very involved with the Bucks County Bears yeah so um he, my friend basically said that he was just known to be you know the arrogant rich kid type mm -hmm. type um but she didn't really know him and I don't know what all his involvement would have been, you know, with other people, you know, w w with that organization. Yeah. He lived in Ben Salem, so 
it's not unusual. I mean, hey, I, I'm not from Bensonville because of my friends. I've, you know, been to some Bucks County Bears events myself. Mm-hmm. So... More importantly, I think the reason they bring this up with the, the, the mental health stuff and, like, the football stuff is there... I don't know how they... If they could do this or whatever, like, if this was a, a product of maybe CTE. Well, so... I don't know if I go the first again. I don't know his his, his involvement uh-huh. with the Bucks County Bears if he played football, but he did have an ATV injury. Okay, um, he had an head injury from that, and a lot of his fam, well, his, a lot of his friends said that he wasn't the same afterward. Okay, now mind you, years before that, he would talk about making claims that he killed people at the age of fifteen, which yeah. was completely unfounded. They haven't found no evidence of this, mm-hmm. um, and that he's he's. Never quite been right in the head from the description of his friends. They always felt an unease around him, unable to get very close with him. And there was definitely some some things going on there. Now, yeah. I don't think that this is all mental illness. I think this is his also his personality. Yeah. He, you know, Basically, had the, you had these different elements that come together and you, you and, know. Th- and this is what the result ended up being. Yeah. Now, his family actually, um, had a pending civil case against the psychiatrist that was treating Cosmo mm. because they claimed that he took him off his medication. Now, I don't know what all the facts are. There was an article that came out that I'm not going to cite because I could not get through it myself where his family talks about his descent into madness, as mm. it were. And a lot of it's blaming, it's blaming everything on his mental illness. And it's blaming everything on his psychiatrist that was treating him. Yeah. They claim that his psychiatrist at his last appointment took him off a bunch of medications, which doesn't sound right because if medications are working for someone, you don't take them off of them yeah. for mental illness. However, his last appointment with his psychiatrist was in one of the days between killing Jimmy and killing the other three victims. Mm. So what would that have mattered at yeah. that point? Um, again, I don't. I could be wrong. I don't know. You don't know if you're if you're prescribing medications to someone that they're even taking them. Yeah. You don't know that they're not lying to you with everything they say. I'm not saying the psychiatrist was doing his job correctly. Mm-hmm. I have no idea, and I you know, and I don't blame his. You don't parent. want to blame put blame on the the, psych, the psychiatrist or whatever. Right. For At the end of the day, sure, I believe his mental illness did contribute. But mm-hmm. it was not the reason that this happened. Yeah. No matter how mentally ill you are, there is no excuse for these this behavior. Yeah, exactly. Many people have these same diagnoses, and they never commit crimes like this. Yeah. So, I mean, I understand, and I don't blame his parents for, obviously, his parents are still going to love him or whatever, and they're still going to want to see him in a certain light and excuse some of what he did. But, you know, I, I usually tend to have a little more respect for people who can admit you know, they can say, hey, I love my son, but they he messed up and he what he did was horrible. Yeah. And maybe they are saying that. I don't know. But the they did have this, you know, in the article, it was kind of excusing some of the behavior, blaming it and other things. And there's a lot of information out there to say that, you know, and he lived a very privileged life with mm-hmm. the parents that he had who, you know, had more money and that he got away with things that he should not have been getting away with. It seems like him and Dean kind of sort of were doing, not that Dean was doing anything worse. He wasn't doing violent type things. He wasn't being aggressive towards other people. Dean was just basically being kind of like a kid. He was just riding his bike and Exactly, getting into trouble. Yeah. And, you know. But Dean would get in more trouble, whereas Cosmo and, you know, basically how his family is, not to put it off on rich people, but they kind of, 
they didn't bother him as much. It kind of reminds me of that affluenza case. Yes. Yeah. Yes, very much. And so, um, also, we need to remember that Cosmo got the guns from his parents. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what part of that that civil case that was being brought from the victim's families against his parents is that, you know, they allowed him to have access to guns. Now I'm all for responsible gun ownership, but obviously if you have a mentally ill son who is not allowed access to guns and he gets guns and he murders people with those guns, you should be held responsible. You should be held responsible because there's lots of people out here who, you know, they, they want to be able to, be responsible gun owners. We have the right under the Second Amendment, and it's situations like this that kind of smear that, yeah. and and we and that shouldn't be what's happening. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you you know, it's just as a parent, I would think having having guns, firearms, what have you, in excess uh, in access to a mentally ill child. I would be concerned with them hurting themselves as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's just something to, to consider when you're dealing with people who have mental illness. So, there is a... There's a Facebook group, you know, in that about 12,000 people that are part of. It's mm-hmm. called um, Cosmo DiNardo and Sean Kratz. Everything you need to know. 12,000 members. So, I follow it, find, you know, information and get information. Um, about them. So if you're in the area, or even if not, maybe you, if you want to follow some, you know, the information that was that was being broken about the case from the beginning, it's on there, and some other information. Mark Potash, who is Mark Sergis's father, um, is active mm-hmm. member of that group. Um, I also think we should mention, sh- uh, we, we kind of gloss over Sean Kratz, and we need to discuss him as well. Yeah. So obviously... I don't think th- these crimes would have happened if it wasn't for Cosmo. Yeah. However, um, I saw rumors that Sean was decided to, you know, plead innocent and take it to trial because, you know, there was rumors that he might want to, you know, maybe he wanted to get the death penalty because that way he would be, uh, you know, not in general population in the prison and therefore treated differently, maybe have a little bit of a better life and very unlikely that he would actually ever be executed because of how infrequently that happens. Didn't you say he was also kind of like, he he felt like it'd make him more infamous or something like that? Yeah, well, actually the one podcast we listened to, to discuss that, you know, that there were rumors that he was stating he was hoping to become infamous from this. So... You know, obviously, the district attorney was able to squash that, and they did go to trial, and he was found found guilty, but he didn't. He received a life sentence and not a death yeah. penalty. So, and just just to be clear, I mean, he might not be have been as mentally ill and disturbed as Cosmo, but he had a gun in his hand, and if you felt really that threatened by Cosmo, he didn't have to kill Dean. Yeah. He made that choice, yeah. and and I think that you know he, he thought maybe if I put it all on Cosmo, I can you know I'll be able to walk away with, from this all. You know, You're say how threatened upset. I felt, and that's not the case. You made a decision, you cost someone their life, and you watched why he killed two other people, you and you just have to dispose of their body, and then you went for a cheesesteak. Yeah. So we needed to to really talk about about that as well. Yeah. So. 
Is there anything else that, you know, that you'd like to talk about with this case? Any other questions you might have had? Not really. Uh, I actually had, I actually had like a a personal, actually one of my, my, uh, my, my friend's boyfriend was actually, I think in general population when Donardo came in Mm -hmm. and he told, he told us about this, that the, you know, it was a big deal because they came in on helicopter and the whole prison was in an uproar. And that uh, ultimately, when the when the kid came in, he he kind of s- sort of was off like a like a like a hot shot and that stuff. But then, given time, he totally folded and was like a paper man and just yeah. Well, I think that's one thing we, I did neglect to actually get into um, was his pro persona that he was really trying to come off, off as a tough guy. There was yeah. things that he was posting on social media where he was tr- even selling sneakers, but he was showing these large rounds next to them. Yeah. And, to be intimidating and right. all that stuff. Um, he he was known to he got um, banned from those from his schools because of intimidating behavior. He was he was going after people and many women. He mm-hmm. was harassing women on, yeah. online. You know, women came forward. There was um, Facebook groups actually. I'm sorry, there was actually a Snapchat group where Cosmo was a part of. That was a bunch of. Um, Tom Mayo's friends trying to find him mm-hmm. and they even I think ta- were actually mentioned about Dean being missing and Cosmo was just brushing brushing it off mm. and there was there was they showed f- photographs that Cosmo was taking with guns that were very disturbing where he was showing crazy eyes he'd have a laser pointer attached to the gun staring into this the camera and it was just given what he did it, it's very it's very chilling to see those photographs. He definitely had this, um, yeah, he wanted to be a tough guy and seem powerful and, and, and I keep saying tough guy, but he, that was what he was coming off of. That was part of his personality, which I think was what led to this. You know, he, he had the opportunity like, Hey, I'm rich and I have all, I have, all these tools and I have a 90 acre farm I can bury people on Don't fuck and with I'll, me. Yeah. yeah. And I'll be able to get away with it. Yeah. And there's, um, the one podcast listened, mentioned, you know, the, the difference of the pictures between when he was brought in for questioning, um, and the smile on his face. And then when he was arrested after the, after, you know, the gig was up yeah. and the difference in, you know, his smile to when he was finally arrested and, you know, he, and there was a point where he, during his interrogation, his confession, that he broke down. And I believe I have it quoted somewhere here. Cosmo crying and stating, I don't know why I did this shit. I threw my life away for nothing. And he's not mourning his actions. Yeah. He doesn't give a shit that he killed four people. Yeah. He's mourning his own life. Yeah. You know, that he threw his own life away for nothing so he could seem some tough guy like I can murder people and it's just it's horrible and so with that I would like to close this out by talking about a victim impact statement so victim impact statements are opportunities for victims of a crime to express in their own words how the crime has affected themselves family and other people close to the case Oftentimes, the victim impact statement is used in sentencing to assist the judge when he or she decides what sentence the defendant to receive. So, in May 2018, Mark Potash, who is the father of Mark Sturgis, made a victim impact statement towards Cosmo 
and he posted it on the Facebook page that I had previously mentioned. And I just wanted to take a snippet from it. He obviously said some beautiful words about his son. Okay. But I think that it very well summarized Cosmo as a person and why he did what he did. Probably the, the best answer we probably can have. So I just wanted to share that, that, that with our audience. <clears throat> so here, here we go. I'm sure given the opportunity, you would say you wish you could take it back and that you were sorry. But you and I both know when you say that you're remembering the life you lost, not the ones you've taken. I'm sure you would do anything to go home, and I don't blame you. You had some life handed to you by people who no doubt love you and would do just about anything for you. And no matter how many times you messed up, you were still allowed to live a privileged life with free reign to as you pleased. As a result, you brought shame and embarrassment to your family name and destroyed your own legacy. You're a perfect example of someone who started at the top and worked their way down to the gutter. It's obviously it's obvious you were incapable of living up to the expectations or accomplishments of the people around you that mixed with your odd personality made making friends extremely difficult and getting close to the opposite sex damn near impossible. I'm sure this can leave a person feeling weak and insignificant, just like an outcast. I imagine that you drew... That drove you to fabricate that tough guy image and was played out on social media for the world to see like a complete fool and tried to obtain status and respect thinking the rest would follow. Whether you were a weed dealer or not doesn't matter to me one bit. I see through your lies. I, I know this had nothing to do with weed, money, or robbery. You did it because you could. You had all of the tools and no one was watching. Basically thrill kills and you know it and, and you love it. And you loved it. You picked a place where you would be most comfortable and were better than your family's farm where you had shotguns and hunt often. Then you set up four trusting, hardworking, pure-hearted, unarmed kids that were no threat, would have had, had, wouldn't have had a chance so you could safely play out your sick fantasy. And that's where I'm going to stop with his statements. And I'm really glad to see that written in to know that Cosmo had to hear that. Yeah. So, I am going to close out. Any other comments? No, just to, I know it's not appropriate, but to bring levity to the situation, I think the real crime was that shaved widow's peak <laughs> on Cosmo Donardo. <laughs> That's the only thing I would focus on every time they 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 did the stuff. It's just that that shaved. It just ugh, it just, just own it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I should yeah, I should talk. I have a little bit of mine here, but not as bad as his. I'm sorry. I like I said, I had to bring some levity to this situation. That's just the way I am. This is very heavy stuff. Mm. Well. We'd also like to mention at this time that we have another podcast. Yes, we do. Yes, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, our, our other podcast, my competing podcast. Competing. Competing. I don't want to say competing. Maybe one day down the road we'll 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 compete, but I don't I don't think so. Mm. Because I'm the obvious winner. <laughs> um, no, no, that's not the case. I'm lying. Maybe. Well, what, what is it called there, Nick? It is called The Boyfriend's Guide to Pop Culture. Oh, awesome. We have The Girlfriend's Guide to True Crime, and we have 
the boyfriend's guide to pop culture. The the boyfriend's guide to pop culture. Yes, and uh, for the first episode on that case, we what do we cover? We're covering Ghostbusters. Okay, on that one. So give that one a listen to, uh, and tell us what you think. Okay, Um, and so. I'm giving you the opportunity to pick what true crime case we're going to cover next as I guide you through true crime. So what do you want to cover next? Uh, there's one I've been thinking about recently, and I, I, I forget the name of it, but I think it involves like this this guy on a game show who was a serial killer. The match game killer, I think, is what Dating he, game killer? Dating game killer. That's Ro- Rodney Alcala. Rodney He's a serial Alcala. killer. So we're oh going to great to a serial killer. All oh right. Boy. Well, join us next time to hear about the dating game killer, Rodney Alcala. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and hit subscribe. You can find us at anchor.fm slash popcultureguide. I'm sorry, true crime guide. Or email us at truecrimeguidepodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>